afternoon. This is Pastor Ryan, and I'd like to welcome you to Grace Presbyterian in beautiful downtown Sagola. Today we will look at the second half of the message of the church as missionary in our series, Studying the Purpose of the Church. And we will see the importance of challenging ourselves to make sure that we are looking at others and seeing them the way God sees them. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. When I was in uh, school, somewhere between the time of third grade and sixth grade, uh, you know, that that young uh, transformative part of a child's life where you're trying to fit in, you're trying to find the right friends, uh, we discovered that uh, there was one classmate that we had that was it was easy to make fun of. She didn't really fit in. Uh, her, her hair was always kind of facing one way or the next. Her clothes didn't always match properly. And sometimes she didn't smell the best. And she wasn't the quickest with the retorts. And it was easy for us kids to tease her. It was easy to pick on the things that were obvious. And, and you got to think kids are kids. And they're all mean generally as it is. But... As it were, I remember never really feeling right about any of it, but still feeling like I needed to fit in, right? You, you had to go with the gang, otherwise you might get singled out as well. Uh, that tends to be one of the problems we see within human nature as a whole. You may recognize this even in our political system. Uh, even outside of the uh, race for presidency, look at some of the local commercials. Have you seen some of these? Um, and what happens is that people who are really elected to, to serve the people can end up getting truncated into just one special interest or one group of people, and they end up just looking out for their own welfare and looking out for themselves. Boy, that doesn't happen to you just when you get into the real world. That starts out when you're just kids, and I can remember this as a child. This, this poor girl would always get, always get picked on. And then one day, I don't recall whether it was for a, maybe a birthday party or a singing event, but we were in one of those 15-passenger vans, and we were traveling to pick up all the kids for this after-school uh, program, and we stopped by her house. And all the kids that I knew of were my friends. You know, we would go over and play, and you know, they had Nintendos and cool toys, and they really had a lot of good things going for them. But I'll never forget, something changed in me, because when we pulled up to this young girl's house, uh, the house didn't look like any of my friends' houses. I'll never forget that. The screen door was like hanging by a hinge. And the, the yard was unmowed and tattered with junk and just uh, derelict vehicles sitting out in the yard, which most of us have, if we're honest. Right? Um, I remember as she made her way out, someone yelling from in back of the house, and it really it, it struck me that she has it a little harder than maybe I have it. And I'll never forget that. that it really changed within me that I, I, couldn't, I couldn't continue teasing her like... Uh, like I had been. I remember one time, too, on uh, recess where I, I decided to stand up for her, and I couldn't, couldn't believe how quick all the other kids would turn, too. And it was just she and I left standing by the fence. I wonder if, I wonder if the church, too, might struggle with finding the temptation of looking after our own interests. Too close a temptation. That we would look with kind of a disdain to those that don't fit in. Those that don't look the way we look, talk the way we talk, act the way we act. You can think of people maybe that are outside of your vision, outside of your scope. That until you, through the indwelling of the Spirit, have encountered the life that they live, we all might end up like those third graders. In, in writing them off or leaving them aside... It makes me want to ask the question, is it possible that we too, as a church, could lo- lose our focus 
maybe like the politicians that we see, become too focused on our own special interests. You know, the, the things that we're just doing right here. And, and we forget that God has put us on earth. That the church has a purpose for why we are here that exists beyond these four walls, that exists beyond ourselves. Could we miss our calling to serve people? Are there people out there that remain outside the scope of our vision that we just haven't encountered? Is it possible that our vision may be influenced by an unhealthy preoccupation for the self? Is it possible that we might be missing our calling to influence those that really need the love of Christ? I think it's important to ask ourselves these questions. It's the kind of thing that you've heard a fish doesn't see the water it swims in. Well, in the same way, you often don't see the culture in which you live. The traditions which we follow. And it's not until we give self-reflection to ask the hard questions. Are we doing what we're made to be doing? Are we following in the footsteps of our Savior? Because he went places that the other rabbis wouldn't go. He touched people who nobody else was going to touch. He offered love, acceptance, healing, reconciliation to those to which the most religious, the holiest, the status quo didn't want to go near. How are we doing? Are we following our Savior down those same paths, down those same alleys? If you brought your Bible this morning, we're going to continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we've been. And we're going to take part two of this series, looking at the purpose of the church, understanding that as we saw last week, our calling is to, do you remember what it was? Rightly, relationally, Reveal God. Shake your head like this if you remember. That's right. Yeah. Say amen if you remember. Amen. All right. Rightly, relationally revealing God. That's our calling as missionaries. That's our calling as followers of Jesus Christ. But sometimes that has to go further than our level of comfort as well. That's what we're going to look at today. Second Corinthians chapter 5, trying to ask the question, how far does our calling extend? Uh, follow along with me starting in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Beautiful passage. Uh, today we're going to focus in on a single verse here. We're going to look at verse 16. And what we're going to see is that there, there's a few observations that we need to make in order to kind of get our arm around how Paul really sets the stage for this beautiful passing the torch to the church to say that now God is really going to work through you. Um, I, I thought, you know, what if you were to get to heaven and see all the nations that didn't make all the people that didn't make it? I, I feel like I would want to say, God, what's the deal? Why, why didn't you help these people? 
These people who are suffering in countries that don't have what we have, how come you didn't help them? And I'm afraid that God might look back at me and say, that's what I put you there for. That the task of reconciling the world is a task he's entrusted to us. And he hasn't left us to our own. He's given us his Holy Spirit. So you have the power. You can't say, oh, Pastor Ryan, you don't know. I don't know what to say. No, remember that God chose what? The strong things of the world or the weak? He chose the wise things or the foolish? Yeah, all of us find that through our weaknesses, God is shown to be strong. And so we all have a role to play in this. I want us to see a couple of observations from verse 16. It starts out with an aspect of time. Take a look at how he begins. He says, so from now on. There's this idea that there was a before and there was an after. In Paul's understanding, something changed. There there was a time where he could look at people and look at them from a worldly point of view. Looking at economic status, maybe gender, maybe nationality, but not so anymore. So from now on, if you look a little bit further in the middle there, he says, though once we regarded Christ this way. You see, there was a before for Paul, and there was also an after. Something changed. As many of you know, my dad uh, has passed away, but suffered with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, anyone who has this, I'm going to say, suffers too long with it, because it's just it's awful. But it did many things in my dad's life. Uh, one specific thing that it did for him was it changed how he viewed people with handicaps. I, I don't know if you may be like him, but kind of always felt like, come on, let's go. What are we, what are we waiting on here? Right? That, that sometimes there's this attitude that people who have a handicap maybe are, I don't know, a little less. Uh, I'll tell you something. You know what kind of view that is? That's a, that's a worldly kind of view. And my dad confided in me, confessed to me that this was how he used to think, but the Lord humbled him. And after he found himself in that wheelchair, he told me that he now goes to bat for the handicapped people. He, he's a voice for the handicapped people. Well, why? Well, because something changed. He understood that there was a connection that he could have with them to see as one walking in their own shoes. That's a poor pun. One, one rolling in their own wheels. I don't know. You get what I'm saying, right? <laughs> but see, there was a before for him and there was an after. There was something that changed. And the same is true with Paul. That if we're going to understand what he has to say here, you've got to begin by seeing that he understands that you cannot go back. Starts on verse 16. So from now on. Uh, there's a second aspect to this that we've got to look at. It's the scope of his understanding. He says, so from now on we regard... What's your Bible say? No, no one. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Um, I looked this up in the Greek... The Greek word here means no one. (laughs) So uh, that's pretty fantastic. It's not complicated at all. Uh, That means there isn't anybody that you at any time can say, yeah, I'm in, but not you. Uh, Yeah, you know, this is for the people that are like this, the people that act the way I'm comfortable. there's, There's no chance for that because the word is no one. You can regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now, I think this is still somewhat easy for us for the same reason that we just don't see. Our, our scope and our vision has not gone to the places where we see this. I bet I can think of somebody who, who that you'd want to um, maybe hold this against still. I know because I still struggle with it. Because it wasn't very long ago, though it's 15 years, that the towers in New York fell because there was a terrorist organization that wanted to bring 
hatred and death to the shores of the United States. And they have today reformed into the Islamic State. What do you think? Does Jesus want them? What do you think? Does Jesus want to save them? Or are they, you know, they're going to get what they deserve. Or maybe we all deserve what they deserve before the Almighty God. It's a tough one. Paul puts it in here. It's clear as day. Sorry, can't get around it. He says, from now on, we regard, what's it say again? No No one from a worldly point of view. I'm going to show you one other place where this really shows up for the disciples. Go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. As we start the story of Acts, Luke is going to record the spread of the church. And he's got to begin with Jesus. He's finished up his gospel, and now he's going to move into watching as the Holy Spirit spreads this message of the gospel to a people group that the Jewish people are not interested in going to. Uh, Acts chapter 1, right near the very beginning. In fact, let's just start at the beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to those men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you want in on the kingdom of God? Yeah, I want in on that. That's right. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my fathers promised which you have heard me speak about. For, John's, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, this is the disciples now, right? They're asking Jesus a question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to, what's it say? To us? To Israel? You've got to understand that this was, this was culturally something that they could not get around. Uh, the Greeks came in and imposed all of their culture and religion over the Jewish people, and they resented them for it. They had a really evil guy named uh, Antichus come in that killed the priests, killed the babies that were circumcised, hung them around the mother's neck, took all of the things from the temple, all the gold, all of the things that they loved, and carted them off. The Jewish people said, mm, never again, we're not going through this ever again, until guess who came knocking on the door but the Romans. And the Romans come in and they impose all of their legislation and taxation. And the Jewish people say the kingdom of God belongs to us. It belongs to Israel. And so here, Jesus, right at the end, as he's going to be taken up from them, he says, I want you to stay and wait. They ask him the question. And I want you to see the prejudice that still exists in their minds. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to us? They're still focused on themselves. And look at Jesus' answer. He says to them, It is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now, do you think they're good with Jerusalem? Yeah, Yeah, man, that's that's home base. I'm good with that. Jerusalem and in all Judea. You think they're good with that? Yeah, that's, you know, all right, well, those guys on the countryside, they really should make it to Jerusalem because this is where the temple is. This is where business happens. But yeah, Judea, that's fine. Let's look at the next place. All Judea and Samaria. How do you, how do you think they felt about that? Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll send them some tracks. You know, we'll, we'll, 
put it on the radio. I don't know. And then he says, lastly, to the ends of the earth. Not a single one of us here would know Jesus Christ. Not a single one of us would know salvation. Each of us would be in our sins had they not gone beyond their scope of comfort to a people that they once held at arm's length. Paul gets it right in 2 Corinthians. You can turn there, back there with me again. He says, so from now on, we regard no one. No one. Not Jew, not Gentile. Rich or poor, slave or free, male or female. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. All right, the next thing that we need to see is that there, there is a change in the outlook, uh, which says in, in regard to how he views them, right? So nobody, from now on, uh, how is it that you can't look at them anymore, Paul? Well, here's what he says. No one from a worldly point of view, a worldly point of view. Uh, this is a little bit more helpful to see in the original. It means according to the flesh. It's very simple to understand what Paul means here. Worldly point of view, according to the flesh, means this, the surface. That's what he means. We don't view anybody on what we see on the surface. The Bible says that men look on the what? Outside or inside? Men look on the outside. Yeah, that's why we dress up, right? That's why we look fancy, right? Because men look on the outside. But what about God? God looks on what's on the inside. And Paul's going to make clear that whether or not I can see on the inside, I certainly am not going to make my distinction about you based on the surface. According to the flesh. According to a worldly point of view. Now, we do this all the time. We do it subconsciously. We do it with food, even. My, my, uh, my, my little daughter, Sadie, she was uh, sitting at the table the other day, and there was uh, cauliflower. Now, she thought it was frosting. <laughs> you know where this story's going, right? So she's, oh, more, more. She, she wants some. She, that's how she says that she wants some. So I'm thinking... Baby, this is cauliflower. You're not going to... Okay, she wants to eat vegetables. So I gave her the cauliflower right in the mouth and then... Right back out, right? Because what was she doing? Judging it according to the surface, right? Look on the outside. We also, incidentally, had caramel apples for dessert that night, right? And a caramel, something she's never seen before, but as she looked at it, she thought it looked like spicy barbecue sauce. So do you think she wanted any of that? Nope. It's caramel. I mean, I actually had to go put some on her lip before she realized that it was sweet, right? Because what is she doing? The same thing we all do. She's judging it according to the surface, according to what's on the outside. We do this subconsciously. We do it without even thinking about it. I wrote down a couple of things. I wrote down color of their skin. It's easy to judge people according to the color of their skin. The the base uh, of this is ethnicity. That's all it is, where you come from. What's a person have to do to choose where they come from? It's where they come from. Color of their skin is color of their skin. It's the ignorant among us the most that would judge somebody according to such a surface, a worldly, a fleshly outlook. How about economic status? Sometimes we want to judge people according to you know, economic status. This is why the Bible is saying in the book of James, don't show favoritism. You know, just because you got a big checking account doesn't mean you get extra special treatment. That's a tough thing to do, though, when you know that the church has bills that need to be paid, right? It's a tempting to maybe want to show favoritism here or there. Or, you know, buddy up with the one that you know you might receive something from. Economic status is a, is a form of social profiling, right? I'm going to judge as holders to prejudice those that have and have not. Or gender. Men and women. Galatians 3.28, Paul says, In Christ... There's neither Greek 
nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Christ. It's a change on your outlook. It changes how you look at people. You've got to stop and you've got to think that every one of us here is born within a circumstance. Right? You were born into a circumstance. You were born into a circumstance. We all enter this world with a set of circumstances. But God looks on the inside. And the calling to each of us is to recognize that inside that your neighbor has, that you have, it belongs to him. And you're not free any longer to regard anybody from a worldly point of view. You've got to change your point of view to a heavenly point of view. You've got to learn to see people the way God sees people. I'm going to say that again because that's, that's, that's all that's so long and short of it. We have to learn to see people the way God sees people. I don't have much compassion in my heart for the people in ISIS, the Islamic State. I think they're crazy. I look at it and think it's impossible, right? Good thing the Bible says that what's impossible for man is possible for God. I have to stop and wonder, what if the church were really to pray for them? <laughs> you know, you, you may come to church and just say, Oh, Pastor Ryan, my, my son, he's, just, he's gone away from the Lord and we need to pray for him because he, he, I took him to church and he's gone away. We, I know him because he's, he's my son and I, I, I want us to pray for him that God would capture his heart. Well, you know what? All those people in the Middle East, all those people that might be our enemies, guess what? They ought to belong to God. They are somebody's son. And why not have the same fervor that you would have for your own family? To want to fall down on your knees, drop what you're doing and pray for them. What if the church did that? I'm guilty. I've got to do a better job at that. I've got to listen to what Paul says here. From now on, I can regard no one from how the world sees them. On the surface, I have to learn to see them the way God sees them. There's one other place we've got to go to kind of finish up our observations. And it's in the same context, but we've got to look back a couple of verses. I, I've not done so far in our study on the purpose of the church uh, the entirety of first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But I want you to look back with me to verse 14. Just look back at uh, just a few verses. For there is a change that has been made. That allows Paul to say this. In the same way that there was a change in my dad's life, in the same way that there was a change in our own life, there was a change for the Apostle Paul. In verse 14 he says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. I want you to look at that just as he starts verse 14. Christ's love compels compels us. I want, I want, first of all, make sure that you understand, and, and this translation is a helpful one, hopefully you have a good one as well, uh, that it is not your love for Christ that compels you. It's not that you come to church saying, oh, yeah, I paid my tithe, I am a good Christian. I love people, you won't believe how much I love people. <laughs> because I love Jesus. It's not that at all. Paul understands that it's not how much you love God, it's how much God loves you. Christ's love here isn't your love for Christ. It's Christ's love for you. The, the change that needs to be made begins with your understanding of punishment. That which you and I deserve. This is why we can't begin church without confession. Because in order for us to come into the presence of God, we must recognize that we are rightly deserving of what? Love or judgment? We deserve judgment. But rather, God while we were yet enemies with him, sent his son to die on our behalf. That 
is the love of Christ. So everybody got straight. It's not your love for Christ. It's Christ's love for you that he's talking about here. And then look at this word. Compels us. It's a beautiful word. In, in the original it means to restrict such that you have one direction. The idea that whatever it is that you have options to go this way or that way, you are compelled, you are held bound, you are captive to a single destination, a single goal. Christ's love directs me. I just I can't I can't not help. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. You guys know the story, right? His Jewish buddy gets beat up side of the road. Oh goodness, a priest comes. Oh, thank goodness, right? But he passes by on the other side. A Levite comes, one of the chosen people. He passes by, but then a Samaritan comes. And the text says that he had compassion. Have you ever had a moment like that in your life where you had the opportunity to drive by and maybe just say, ah, they'll get a ride from someone else or someone will, they'll call AAA, right? And someone will come and change the tire or, or maybe a heavy snowfall and the neighbor doesn't have, well, they ought to have prepared, you know? They, they, didn't, they didn't call the, or you don't have enough provision, whatever it might be. Have you ever encountered that moment? Because if you have and you had to, I just have to help. I, I'd rather... Continue on my way, but I just got to do something. It's because the love of Christ compels you. That's the change that has to happen in our hearts. If we are ever going to be the kind of people, if we're ever going to have a purpose on this earth to reach beyond our own comfort zone, remember, because it's so easy for us to want to stay safe, right? And look at those different from us at arm's length. If we're ever going to be the church, it has to begin with a change. That we would see Christ's love as being something that doesn't give us the opportunity any longer to consider them worldly. Oh, well, they should have done better. I'm giving them tough love by not helping them. No, Christ's love compels us. From now on, we can regard nobody from a worldly point of view. I have a couple of questions just as we conclude with this. The main question is this. Where are you compelled to reach with the love of Christ? Maybe if you can't answer that today, just change one word in it to this. Where ought you be compelled? Where should you be compelled to reach with the love of Christ? You heard it this morning in our lectionary reading from Matthew chapter 5. What does Jesus say? Love your what? Love your enemies. You love those who love you. How hard is that? It's a piece of cake, right? If, if you go to those who you think you can get something from, even the pagans do that. The tax collectors are doing that. But he tells us something different. He says, love your enemies. we got to increase our vision, church. we got to go beyond... Segola, North Dickinson, the UP, the United States. We've we got to hear the call from Jesus. We've got to be careful with the desire to make the kingdom of God us and ours. And we've got to hear that he called his people to not only go to their immediate neighbors, but he called them to go to those that they didn't like. And then to even go further into lands that are different from their own. I have only one to share with you this morning. There's a people who are really hurting today. They had a hurricane that hit them. Have you heard of the island of Haiti? I 
served in the Caribbean for years, and uh, I trained Haitian pastors. And unlike any other pastor that I would teach on the island, these Haitians had such a burden, not just for those in their own congregation, but for their home back in Haiti. Because life, as bad as it could be in the Bahamas, was so much better than Haiti. Because they have it so difficult. I saw on the news that over a thousand people killed. A thousand people. Imagine if that was the U.S. It would be in... Uh, National disaster. We'd have FEMA. We'd have. I mean, it'd, it'd be. We'd be right there. We got to open our eyes. We got to change our vision. I want to share this with you. It's a video. If any of the choir wanted to see, they could go down to. that you will pour out your blessing upon Haiti. Lord God, he's Haiti calling on you right now. Lord God, we realize the devil has brought sickness in Haiti. The devil has brought a lot of problems in Haiti. Mom and, and dad did not live long enough to see their children become somebody. There are babies right now that are often in Haiti. There are babies, there are young, young boys, young, young, young girls running around Haiti and not even know what their parents look like because death has taken them away from this kid. But right now, Lord God, as you promise that you will never leave them, you will never forsake, forsake them, be with them. There are people right now in Haiti, Lord God, they are suffering. There are kids that are hungry. They are calling on your name. Answer, Father, please. one of the many countries that needs help. Of the 23 poorest countries in the world, 19 of them come from Africa. In front of you here is what this earned in an annual income. Can you imagine $400 a year? That's all you earn? That's what they live off of in some of these countries. You know where Haiti shows up? All the way down here towards the bottom. How many other countries are there 
that have so much less than us. Church, you get an opportunity this Christmas for Operation Christmas Child. It's it's a tiny thing. It's a small little thing, but it's a chance for you to give. I, I pray that our hearts would be broken for the nations, that we would not see people from a worldly point of view, but instead we would see them through the eyes of God. And through the Spirit's leading, this congregation would have our hearts burdened to reach beyond our shores, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to any and all. So for our application today, number one is this. Church, here's what you've got to do. What do you do this week? If you're going to live this sermon, if you're going to live out God's word, I want you to pray for people who are outside our vision. Pray that God would give us a vision. Don't hear me wrong on this. I don't want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray for this church. That God would give you a vision. That God would give us a vision. In the same way that after riding in that 15-passenger van and I saw the state of that young girl's life, I couldn't, I couldn't go on the same anymore. There was a change. Folks, there's got to be a change. It's got to be the kind that the Spirit does in us. So number one, I want to challenge you this week to pray, but don't pray for them. Pray for yourself that God will give you a vision. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody get it? Pray that God will show you. I believe that He will. And secondly, here's what I want us to do. I want us to be compelled in the same way that Christ's love compelled Paul. I want you to be compelled to give to somebody this week. Small thing. Give to someone this week who can't pay you back. Uh, here's the easiest way to do that. Take your family out to eat and find a table. Scope out. Say, Lord, who is it? Find a table and then catch the waitress. Say, I want to cover their bill, but don't let them know. Go through the drive through at Taco Bell and when you get to pay, say, I want to cover the truck behind me too. It's a small thing. But you know what it does? It begins to train us. You, you start doing these little small things and you know what it does? It, it's, like, it's like lifting weight spiritually to change us how we think. That we would begin, like Paul, to see the world the way God would see the world. Pray this week that God will give us a vision. For the purpose of the church is to be missionaries. In our Jerusalems, Judeas, our Samarias, all the way where? To the ends of the earth. Let's pray.